gosh, I'm always out of, out of breath because we've been praying. I like run up here and I'm like, Ugh. anyway, okay. What's up, guys? How you guys doing? Yeah, great, great. You guys are awake. That's amazing. Um, my name is Joe Nealis. If I have not met you yet, I'm the Salt Company director here. Um, so last week, we kicked off Salt Company by looking at Matthew chapter 8. We looked at Jesus healing the leper. And what we saw is that Jesus is not the kind of savior who pushes off the people who are outcast, pushes off the people um, who are so sinful, but he draws near to us to cleanse us of our sin sickness. And what we're doing tonight is we are kicking off a brand new three-week series that we're doing called Foundations. And all that we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out, man, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a healthy follower of Jesus? And here at Saul Company, we want you to be shaped by the word of God, the people of God, and the mission of God. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about those three things, community, Bible, and mission. We wanna talk about those three things, and more specifically, we wanna talk about how you can become the kind of people who are characterized by a love for God's word, deep connection with other people, and a heart to share the gospel with the lost. And so tonight, I wanna talk about community. That's what we're talking about tonight is community, but I wanna start with a question. Are there any football fans here? Anybody, anybody? Um, So there's a game happening this weekend, right? Iowa, Iowa State? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That's great. I was going to say on the count of three, you could shout your favorite team, but you guys already did that. So great. Um, But one of my favorite things about the month of September is that it's the dawn of the football season, right? And some of you guys are like, Joe, I couldn't give a rip about football. That's okay. I used to be like you, and then I saw the light, okay? So you'll be fine. Um, But one of the things I love about sports in general is I love watching great teams work together. You can see when a dysfunctional team is just falling apart and you hate to see it, but you love to see a good team work together. And one of the things that I love is seeing them train together. They push each other to, uh, each other to their full potential. I watched, um, recently I watched The Last Dance. Anybody know what that is? It's a documentary on Michael Jordan. Um, incredible, but one of the things about him is uh, his teammates had a love-hate relationship with him because he was always pushing them to do better, right? And when you're the GOAT, right, it's kind of hard to match that same level. Anyway, but they pushed each other to their fullest potential and they support each other when they win. I've got a lovely picture on the screen. Wow, look at that celebration there. Um, But that's one of the things I love, like genuinely, like seeing a team celebrate together. And honestly, one of the hardest part of the game um, that is still honestly still really touching is that when one player gets hurt, they stop the game, and what do they do? They take a knee, right? They take a knee, the game is stopped, and that's powerful, but what I think is even more powerful than that is this next picture. When you see a team of people, when you see a couple players from that same team go out to that person who's injured and help them walk off the field. See, they're in this together, they're a team, and it makes you wonder. Man, do I got relationships like that? It makes me wonder, man, what are your relationships like? Do you have a team of people in your life like that? People who love you, people who are there for you, and people who help you follow Jesus. You see, in the passage we're gonna look at tonight, God is going to offer us a picture of the kind of community, the kind of team, the kind of relationships that we all desperately need. And just like anything that God offers to us, you have an opportunity to decide what you wanna do with that. To either say, yes, I wanna pursue that, or no, I don't. 
But I think what you're gonna see tonight is that if you choose not to, and that's okay, if you choose not to, you're ending up settling for a life where you're a little bit more isolated and a lot more lonely than you would be if you would choose to pursue the kind of community that Jesus offers to us. If you guys have your Bibles, open up to 1 John. 1 John, sort of the end of the Bible. So basically, if you wanna start from the end, go there. Um, But it's towards the end of the Bible. And 1 John is written by the Apostle John. And in this letter, he is writing to a church to tell them what it means to follow Jesus and what it means not to follow Jesus. And you see, there was a group of people at this time who were spreading misinformation about what a relationship with God was like. They were going throughout the church and telling them different things. Well, yeah, the Bible might say this, but honestly, a relationship with God is more like this. And so what ends up happening is it results not only in confusion, but also in a lot of hypocrisy in the Christians at that time. And so as a result, John is trying to help correct those things and try to speak truth in those things. And as he does that, he ends up laying out the kind of relationships that we all need in this life. Relationships that take work, but that ultimately, if you pursue them, are worth it. So what are your relationships like? That's the question that John wants us to answer or to think about tonight. So look with me. We're going to start chapter 1, verse 5. We're going to read down to verse 10. It says this. John says this. This is the message we have heard from him. In other words, we've heard from Jesus. And we declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say... We have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, though we're asking the question, what are your relationships like? John wants to start off by asking us an even more important question. What is your relationship with God like? Why does he start there? He starts there because your relationship with God often determines what your relationship with others is like. So point number one is this, if you're taking notes, drop the act. So let me ask you, have you guys ever had a time, maybe when you were younger, maybe even recently on a first date or something, when you pretend to be interested in something when you're definitely not just to kind of maybe impress them? Maybe it's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You like country? <laughs> I love country music for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cars? I love cars. Yeah, totally. Uh, and when you put gas in that thing, is crazy. I love cars too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to do that kind of stuff all the time when I was younger. Um, specifically, there was a time when I was in fifth grade. Any Taylor Swift fans? Any Taylor Swift fans in here? Anybody? Um, yeah, so my, so my girlfriend in fifth grade, uh, yeah, that's, sorry. Uh, but I, my girlfriend in fifth grade, yeah, that's a weird way to start a story. Uh, yeah, uh, but she was a huge fan of Taylor Swift. And so, of course, I had to be a big fan of Taylor Swift. And so I was like, yeah, I love T-Swift. She's my favorite. And that quickly um, got exposed. My act was exposed pretty quickly um, when she realized I didn't literally know any of the lyrics to any of her songs, right? Uh, fun fact, first song she ever showed me was Love Story. Any, any fans of that song here? A classic. A classic. Um, but here's the thing, guys. Maybe you've had experiences like that, but 
man, I had to drop the act because I was clearly pretending and it, you know, I'd pretty clearly been exposed. And in some sense, John is telling us that our relationship with God is a little bit like this. He's telling us that when Jesus comes into our lives, the light of his presence exposes our pretending. He does this by describing to us who God is and what he's like. And he does that in a really interesting way. He uses light and dark imagery. He says, he want, basically he wants you to imagine for a moment, when you think about God, he wants you to imagine for a moment a dark room, right? Maybe you've got a room like this in your house. There's no windows. It's like pitch black in there. The kind of darkness that, man, your eyes can't seem to adjust to. And John says that God's presence is a lot like if, in that, if God were to show up into that room, every inch of darkness in that room would disappear. Every shadow, every single thing would be exposed. The light of Christ would illuminate it. You know what he's saying there? In this passage, John uses the word darkness to refer to sin and rebellion against God. Light and darkness, light being good, darkness being the sin and rebellion against God. And so John is telling us something crucial about your relationship with God. See, God's presence in our lives can't help but expose us of all the ways we have failed to trust and obey him. You know what this means for you? It means that your relationship with God starts with something perhaps totally different than what you thought. You see, I wonder if it's true that we often think that to have a relationship with God, to get to heaven, we need to be good enough people, right? I mean, in life, if you want something good, you gotta earn it. So why would that be different with God? We need to have it all together. We need to not have any ounce of darkness in our lives. We, that's how we start a relationship with God, right? The problem is, what about the times when we don't? What about the times when we say things we shouldn't, when we look at things we shouldn't, when we do things that we regret, when darkness takes up residence in our lives? And I don't know about you, but that sounds more like us, in my opinion. And then we think that God would want nothing to do with the real us, so what do we do in that moment? We hide our true selves from him. We hide in the shadows, hoping he doesn't find any, he doesn't find us because if he did, he would punish us. But what is this passage telling us? Look with me at verse nine again. What is this telling us about how God reacts to us? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to punish you and shame you for everything you've done. Right? No, listen again. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you know what this is saying? If you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, your first step toward a relationship with God is to drop the act and to admit who you really are, to stop pretending. And this principle is true for anyone in the room. For Christians, in verse six, he essentially says, hey, if you profess to be living in the light, but you're still, maybe it's gossiping, or maybe you're looking at things that you shouldn't or saying or doing things that you shouldn't. He's saying you're not actually walking in the light the way that you think that you are. See, in the light of God's presence, all of us stand before God on the same level is what he's telling us. He exposes our darkness. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And because Jesus died and he rose for you, God's call for you is not to cower in fear, but to drop the act to come to him 
admitting who you really are. Not to come to him saying, yeah, I mean, I've done bad things, but I've done some good things too. That can get me into heaven, right? No, it's coming to him as you are with nothing to hide because guess what? The light of God's presence exposes every part of your life. There's nothing we can hide from God, and yet the invitation is not to run in fear, but to come to him. You see, only when you drop the act and admit who you really are to God can your relationship with God begin. Only then can you be forgiven. So the question is, do you have that relationship yet? Do you have that relationship yet? So after John tells us about the most important relationship that you could have, he tells us about the kinds of relationships that God invites us to have with other people the kinds of relationships that we deeply desire. So what kind of relationships does God invite us to have? Point number two is this, falling down. Falling down. There was a recent study, I don't know if you knew this, there's a recent study about your guys' generation, about your age group. There was about 10,000 18 to 22 year olds who were uh, asked this question back in 2019. It's still fairly recent. And it found that 79% of Gen Zers who were, who were asked this question, 79% of them felt lonely. So to put that in perspective, that's 8% higher than millennials. If, so if you have older siblings and almost 30% higher than our parents and grandparents, why is that? I wonder if it's because we live in a world where people can know us without truly knowing us. Newsflash. We live in a social media age, okay? That's not news to you. You've probably heard people talk about that a hundred times from the stage, okay? I don't wanna, yeah, I don't wanna keep saying that anyway. But, um, But we live in a social media age. What that means then is on social media, we can post the parts of our lives that we want people to see, the parts of our lives that we love, right? Man, maybe you went to a concert. Heck yeah, post that. You went on a trip. You, I mean, whatever it could be, you're posting highlights of your life. And man, that's not a bad thing. I got social media. I post on there. That's great. Um, But sometimes the likes and follows can make us feel like we have the approval of the people around us. And it makes us feel like we're known as if people really see us. But the question is, do they actually? Do they really know us? Because the numbers would say that they really don't. 79% would say they feel lonely. And John is telling us that there could be a reason for this. In verse seven, he says something really interesting. Verse seven, he says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship, all right? It's an old word. In other words, it just means friendship. We have friendship with one another. So I don't know if you caught this, but John is saying something profound about the sin in our lives and how that affects the way that we can connect with other people. You see, He says that when we walk in obedience to God, when we're actually confessing our sin to a team of people that we love and that love us, that trust us, we actually find ourselves being truly known for who we are. Which means that the opposite is true, that when we walk in darkness, when we don't confess our sin, we actually are not truly known. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people know your hobbies, you laugh together with your friends, but they don't truly know you. Why? 
Because oftentimes our sin can isolate us. That's what John's telling us here. Our sin can isolate us. Because isn't that true that when you sin that you immediately want to hide it? It's not true for you. It's true for me, right? Like, man, when I sin, the last thing I want to do is shout it from the rooftops and tell everybody I know. I want to guard my ego. Because sin wants to isolate us. And in those moments, we can settle for not sharing our struggles, our sins, the ways we've fallen with our team of people. And man, when that happens, you're saving face. And man, they might still think really highly of you, but what you end up doing is you end up settling for shallow relationships. You end up settling for a life where no one truly knows you. That was my story. When I was in middle school, I began an addiction to pornography in my life. And that was something I didn't wanna tell anybody, all right? There's just something about sexual sin that is particularly, makes you feel disgusting. You feel like it defines you. And man, I didn't wanna tell anybody because I'm like, man, I don't want people thinking I'm a creep or something. So I don't, I don't wanna tell anybody. And so I was, in a lot of ways, I was enslaved to this addiction to pornography for a couple years. It was eating away at me. And again, I didn't wanna tell anybody, but then there was one time, it was uh, 2013, so I was, heading into my sophomore year, I believe. Um, heading into my sophomore year. And at that point, I was like, man, I need to get rid of this thing. Like, I, I need to tell somebody. I need to share this with somebody because this has so much power in my life. I have so much shame for it. I don't want anybody to know, but I need to tell somebody. I need this to stop in my life. This is ruining my relationship with God and honestly, my relationship with other people. And so I remember um, at the camp that I went at, every counselor had to have a one-on-one with every single one of their campers. And um, I remember my camp counselor probably just thought he was just going to like hang out with me and talk. It was going to be super casual. He was like, hey, what's up, man? And I just start to like bawl my eyes out, guys. And I shared with him something I had never shared with anybody in my life. And I just bawled my eyes out because I felt disgusting. And I didn't know how he was going to respond. But I'm like, ah, you don't really know me. So I guess I'll just share it with you. What's the worst that can happen? Um, and I shared my addiction to pornography, and he just put his arm around me and prayed with me. And at that moment, God began to bring a ton of victory over that sin in my life. You see, you know what I realized in that moment? I realized that if I want to be healthy in my relationship with God, if I want to have relationships that really matter, I have to let people in. And the same is true for you. I realized that I needed relationships with people where I can confess that I've fallen. That, man, I had a lot of friends that I could laugh with, but I really didn't have anybody who really knew me. And I don't know if that's you. But maybe you realize the same way that, I'm real, that I had to realize that I needed the kind of relationships where I could allow myself to be truly known, the kinds of relationships that John is talking about in our passage, where we can have fellowship with one another. And you see, it became a lot easier to begin to share my struggle with other people, even in the midst of it, right? I think sometimes it's easy to talk about the sins that we've, right, that we've conquered in our lives, things we don't deal with anymore. That's easy to talk about because you're like, "Ah, I don't deal with that anymore. But I realized that even in the battle, I could tell other people why, because I realized that we are all wearing the same jersey that we're all on the same team. 
that we're all sinners before God, that we're, we've all fallen. I mean, listen to John. He tells us that in verse eight. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. One pastor, he said it this way. He says, quote, if I wanted others to think highly of me, this is true for all of us here. If I wanted others to think highly of me, I would conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect son of God was required so that I might be saved. In other words, all of us have parts of our lives that we're ashamed of. And Christian in the room, you need to hear this. We're all on the same team. We're all forgiven sinners. So what do you have to hide? We all need these kinds of relationships, a team that we can confess when we've fallen, a team that we can be real with, a team of people who can know us and love us, but that's not all. See, John is telling us that not only that we need a relationship where we can confess where we've fallen, he also tells us we need relationships that help us with something else. Point number three is this, getting back up. Getting back up. <clears throat> uh, like I shared earlier, man, one of the most moving things to see on a football field is when an injured player walks off the field and he's carried off the field by his teammates. And man, while that injury is really bad in a moment of darkness like that, his closest people, his people, his team comes and carries him off the field. It's a powerful moment. And he knows that, he knows that if, if any of his teammates were to be in that same position, that he would go and help them the same way that he's being helped. You see, in this passage, John is saying that we not only need a team of people who know that we've fallen, we need a team of people who also help us get back up on our feet and follow Jesus. We need a team of people who not only know the ways that we've fallen, but man, we need people who love us enough to carry us off the field and help us to get back up and follow Jesus. I mean, listen to verse seven. He says, if we Walk in the light. I want to circle one word there. We, it's plural. He's talking about a group of people, a team of people. He's talking about Christ's followers. And he says, so together, we need to walk in the light. Walk in the light is talking about an ongoing action. It's constantly happening. In other words, he's saying, we don't walk in obedience on our own. That's not my idea. That's God's idea if you're trying to follow Jesus on your own, it's not gonna go well. He's saying that we walk in obedience to Jesus together. We do it as a team of Christ followers. It's a team effort. We need each other to help us walk in the light. Man, you need a team of brothers or sisters who will remind you that even if you fell, God is not finished with you yet. You need a team of brothers or sisters who will remind you of the gospel that because of Jesus's death and resurrection, your slate has been wiped clean. You're forgiven. You're not defined by that sin anymore. You need a team of brothers or sisters that remind you that because of Jesus' victory in his resurrection, in the middle of your battle against sin, when you're confessing the same thing over and over again, and man, I've been there. In the middle of that, you have a team of brothers and sisters who say to you, sin has no power over you anymore. Because of what Jesus has done, Sin has no power over you anymore. You need a team of brothers or sisters who will pray for you right after you confess, who will check in on you and who will celebrate victories over sin with you because that's a team that helps you get back up after you've fallen. So what are your relationships like? Take inventory. 
What are your relationships like? Do you have a team of people who you can confess, that you can be real, that you can be authentic, that you can actually be known? Do you have that in your life? You confess when you've fallen and when you've sinned. People who know you, people who love you. Relationships with people who will challenge you to follow Jesus. People that you commit to do the same to. And man, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I want that. But Joe, you don't realize how hard it is to find those kinds of people. You don't know how hard it is to find a team of people like that. And let me just tell you, it is hard. When I moved here from Michigan, not knowing a dang soul, I had to start all over again. Man, I know it's hard to find community. But I'm confident that you can pursue it. Point number four is this, finding your team. Finding your team. So imagine for a moment that there's an incredible athlete, right? I mean, imagine the best of the best. It's a football player, and man, they want to play on a professional football team. And so they're watching their favorite team on TV, right? They're watching games. They want to be a part of that team. And man, anybody who knows them, anybody who's seen this person play football is like, man, you actually have a shot to play in the NFL. Like, you should really try that. And this person ends up getting really frustrated. This athlete gets really frustrated because here he is. He's incredibly talented. He's got the desire for it. But here he is. He's not on a team. So what's the deal? Well, it turns out in this story that this person actually never even tried to initiate the process of joining a team in the first place. He never even, he never even tried. He didn't initiate. And so the same thing is true for your community, for your team. Don't wait for it. Initiate it. Don't wait. Initiate. Instead of waiting for a community or a team to come find you, you need to initiate that process. In other words, the question I want you to ponder is this. Could it be that the reason that you don't have a team around you, a team of people who love you, and, and, and who know you deeply, right? The kind of relationships that John was talking about. Could it be that the reason that you don't have that is because you haven't taken steps to initiate that process? If so, you're in good company because that's where I can often land. I don't wanna be, you know, I don't wanna be too pushy. I don't wanna just assume that people wanna hang out with me, so I'm not really gonna ask. And so for those of you who are a lot like me, I wanna give you guys three actions to initiate to find your team. Three actions to initiate to find your team. First one is this, initiate contact. Initiate contact. So Proverbs 13.4 says this. It says, the slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. So in other words, man, we may want community. We may want deep relationships, but if we're not putting in the work to initiate those relationships, chances are we're not going to find them. And that means that we need to initiate contact. It means going up to a CG leader tonight and saying, hey, can I join your connection group? Or maybe if you don't know what connection group to join, you come up to me or to Callie and say, hey, can you help me find a connection group? Because only you can begin that process. Second is this, initiate confession. Initiate confession. So be the first to confess in your group. Be the first to confess in your group and don't wait for someone to pry it out of you. Now, why does that matter? 
It matters because confession takes us out of the isolation that sin wants to keep us in and helps our team of people know how they can help you get back up because that's what teams do. And for the introvert in the room, maybe you're like, that's super intimidating. (laughs) You don't realize how hard that is to speak up first. Hear this. This doesn't mean that you literally need to be the first person. But can you commit to being the second? Initiate confession. And then lastly, the third thing is to initiate consistent accountability. Initiate consistent accountability. Because this last one is key, right? When you find yourself constantly confessing the same sin, and again, man, I have been there. Initiate consistent accountability. Ask your people to check in on you, right? If you know that you're tempted, man, ask your people to check in on you. And if something happens and, you, and maybe you fall during the week, don't wait for somebody to reach out to you. Reach out to them and say, hey, man, I'm struggling. I just fell into this sin again. Can you pray for me? And then as teams do, they'll lift you up in prayer. They'll help you get back on your feet. And maybe you set up an accountability group within your team, right? Maybe you find that in your group, a lot of the people deal with the same things. You're like, man, let's have an accountability group, man. Fighting this sin is a really big deal to me. So man, can we, can we pray for each other? Maybe you memorize scripture together, whatever it could be, initiate consistent accountability. So Salt Company, maybe you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian and man, you've avoided placing your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've avoided Christianity for quite a while. Maybe you believe that Christianity is all about being a good enough person to get into heaven and man, that sounds tiring to you. I agree. It sounds like something you couldn't ever achieve and so you avoid it, but maybe what you need to consider is that the most important relationship in your life is not achieved that way. See, skeptic in the room, it's not about how much good you do. Jesus calls you to drop the act and admit who you really are and say, Jesus, you alone can save me. I trust you alone. And for those of you who already have that relationship, the question I wanna ask you is who's on your team? Who's on your team? Do you have a team of people who are in your corner, who love you and wanna help you know and follow Jesus? If not, what is stopping you from pursuing that tonight? The invitation for you is to find your team tonight, to choose tonight to no longer settle for shallow relationships for a lonely lifestyle, but tonight to step out of that, to find a team of people who will help you follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we can come to you as we are. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross so that we can have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't placed their faith in you, that you would burden their heart to place their faith in you tonight. And God, you desire us to experience deep community, for us to have a team of people who we can confess when we've fallen and who help us get back up. And God, I pray that everyone here would find their team. They would find a team of people that love them and help them look more like Jesus as they help them do the same. And Jesus, we love you. Help us to be more like you as we pursue community. In Jesus' name, amen.